All right, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 2 and Luke 2. In other words, we'll begin in Matthew 2, and then we'll flip over to Luke 2. And if you are a proficient um, Bible page turner, then you could actually hold the third place we're going to go, Micah chapter 5. And I'm not even going to tell you where it is, so you'll just have to find it on your own. So we're going to be in Matthew 2 and Luke 2. That's the Christmas story. And, uh, and then later, if you want to put a marker there, Micah chapter 5. I'll be here this weekend, obviously, and I'll be here next weekend. And all of our services are the time at all the campuses for Christmas weekend. So if you have family in next weekend, uh, please bring them, and we're going to celebrate Christmas as a, as a church family as well at each location. Um, I've been studying on Christmas the last few weeks, and I'm so excited. I found so much about truth, revelatory truth for us today in the Christmas story. I feel like I could have started a series back in September, and uh, I may do that. I may just one fall preach the whole fall on Christmas because we've heard this story over and over again, and we miss it. We miss how powerful it is. Do you realize all of history from the past to the future goes to Matthew 2 and Luke 2. And in these four chapters, there's four chapters, that's the Christmas story, many other scriptures, obviously, that relate to it. Four chapters in the Bible tell us the Christmas story, Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. In these four chapters, there are 15 prophecies to eight different people or groups of people. I actually thought about doing a a little mini-series on the prophecies of Christmas And then I found there were uh, 15. So I thought there were four or five. 15 different words from God to eight different people or groups of people. Let me just name them for you uh, so you could look for it yourself. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus. The wise men, the shepherds. Simeon, uh, an old prophet, an older prophet at the house of God. And Anna, an older prophetess. All of these either received words from God or gave a word from God. Some of them um, gave or received several. In other words, Simeon prophesied over Jesus and then turned and prophesied over Mary. Two words right there. Joseph received three words from God, one to believe uh, Mary's story, uh, which was pretty unbelievable, you have to admit. Uh, The other was to um, take Jesus to Egypt after he was born, and the third was to bring uh, Jesus back from Egypt. So, Anyway, it's rich. That's what I want you to know. But here's what I want to share with you today. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. That's the title of the message. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And I'm going to give you four points. If you want to go ahead and write them down, we're going to talk about the place of Bethlehem, the place, the people, the problems, and the promise. All right? The place, the people, the problems, and the promise. So here's number one, and we'll go over each of those as we get there if you didn't get them all. Number one, the place of Bethlehem. I want us to actually look at the place of Bethlehem and why God chose Bethlehem for the Savior of the world to be birthed. Matthew 2, there, uh, Bethlehem, by the way, the word Bethlehem is in the New Testament nine times, and three of those times are in the six verses we're about to read in Matthew 2. So one-third of the times it's mentioned We're about to see it in one little short passage of Scripture. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. 
saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, the king heard this, he was troubled. Here's here's an interesting phrase, and all Jerusalem with him. All Jerusalem was troubled about this. That's amazing, Jerusalem be troubled about the king being, being born, the king of the Jews. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. By the way, that's a statement, not a question. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, the city Bethlehem is famous in the whole world. The majority of people in the world know about this small, tiny village in Israel called Bethlehem, but not for any accomplishments of its own. It's famous for one reason, that's the birth of Christ. It's the only reason it's famous. And it, it was the least uh, of all the cities in, in, in Judea, which is a region of, of Israel. It's about five or six miles south of Jerusalem. It's, it's not a long trip. It's even a small city to this day. To this day, it's in the twenty-five to 30,000 population range. And so if you would think about a, um, a city, a uh, population of about 25 or 30,000, not connected to a metropolitan area, just out in the, in the country somewhere, a very small place. Have you ever thought about this? Why? Why did God choose Bethlehem for the birth of his son? Now, I asked that question to some people this week, and one guy said something which is obvious, but when you think about it, It's not really a good answer to the question. I said, why would God choose Bethlehem? He said, to fulfill Scripture. I said, well, okay, let's go back even farther then. (laughs) Because God is the one that wrote the Scripture, and so he he still chose Bethlehem. Why did God choose Bethlehem? I'm going to tell you my personal opinion, all right? Here it is. Because God likes to choose the smallest and most inconsequential places to birth miracles. And let me tell you why that's good, because you came probably from a place like that. No matter how big the city was, you probably came from a small, inconsequential place, and you probably see yourself sometimes as an inconsequential person. And yet God takes this small city. By the way, Deuteronomy 7 actually tells us why he chose Israel. A lot of people don't know why he chose the nation of Israel to show his glory to. Deuteronomy 7 tells us. You know what it says in Deuteronomy 7? He said, I chose you because you were the smallest nation in the world. That's the reason I chose you. Wasn't because of anything you did, he said, but because you were the smallest nation in the world. You understand, God likes to take the smallest and show himself the strongest. This is amazing to me. The place of Bethlehem that God decided to take a small, inconsequential city and birth the Savior of the world. Listen to this scripture, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 and 27. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's us. It would be difficult to, to explain to you because I, I think you, you see the anointing of God uh, that works through my life, and I don't think you see, though, the insecurities and the inadequacies that I deal with as a person like anyone else. When I look at sometimes my schedule 
or uh, who I'm meeting with or where I'm speaking. Many, many times uh, I will say to Debbie or those around me, pray for me because I know I can't do it in my own strength. We, we, we go to London, Israel, and, and Egypt just two weeks ago, you know, we got back Tuesday, uh, and um, every place we went, London, London, Israel, Israel, and Egypt, every place we went, people came up to us and told us, we, we watched the television program, because our program goes into 200 countries around the world. People came up to us and said, we sing the songs that, are writ- that were written at Gateway Church. When I look at the influence that God has given us in the world, it overwhelms me sometimes. But Bethlehem encourages me because God can take a place that you come from that is very small and insignificant and birth something that is very significant for his kingdom purposes. And I want you to understand that you came from Bethlehem also. You came from a small, insignificant place, but God has a very significant role for you to play in the kingdom of God. And so that's the place. Here's the people. Number two, the people of Bethlehem. And I'm focusing on two, Joseph and Mary. Why did Joseph and Mary go back to Bethlehem in the first place? It's because their their, uh, ancestor came from there. Um, 1 Samuel 16, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Verse 4, So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. So who, who was from Bethlehem? David. God, again, chose. Why did God choose for David to come from Bethlehem? Because it was small and insignificant. Obviously, the greatest king that ever lived and that the lineage of Jesus came through him. So, they have to go back now to Bethlehem. But have you ever thought about Joseph and Mary? What I want you to see is that they were ordinary people. And God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things for him. Joseph, we know, was a carpenter. But that word in, in the Greek actually is a little broader than what we think of. We think of a carpenter only working with wood, but the word is tecton in the Greek, and it means builder. Uh, and much of the building in Israel was with stone. So there was wood and stone that, that uh, Joseph worked with. But he's a builder. Joseph went to work. Have you ever thought about this? Joseph went to work with a hard hat and a tool belt and a lunchbox. He was a working man. God chose a working man to work through. This is amazing to me. And then, if you want to think about it this way, Jesus was also a builder. Jesus was in the construction business until he was 30 years old. When, When he started preaching, he wasn't famous as a teacher preacher. He was famous as a carpenter. They even said, who, who, who is this doing these miracles? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. They said, the carpenter? He, he, he built a deck for me. <laughs> nice guy. Probably having reports like this, you know, it was, there were some strange things, though, that happened. <laughs> I mean, uh, we, we, we didn't have enough wood, and, uh, but he never went and bought any more. <laughs> 
took him a cup of water one day, lasted the whole day. You know, I mean, you know, I don't know. Normal people. Mary was a teenager probably. A teenager. But we all have something in common with her. She was carrying a responsibility from God. And so are you. And I'll tell you something else we have in common with Joseph and Mary. They were people of misunderstanding. Now, we can all relate to that. You ever had someone misunderstand or misinterpret your motives? (laughs) Or how about this? They were also people of scandal. They were people that when they walked into town, people pointed and whispered. You ever had that happen to you? Because I have. No one believed their story. I mean, come on, think about it. See, we know now that yes, she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. But can you imagine Joseph's conversation with his lunchbox at work? So we hear Mary's pregnant. Yeah, see, uh, about that, um, the Holy Spirit did it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My brother's girlfriend got pregnant by the Holy Spirit too. (laughs) No one believed that. No one had ever been impregnated by the Holy Spirit before or since. They're people of scandal. Here's the third thing, the problems of Bethlehem. The problems. Now now look at Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 verse 4 says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So he registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, while she was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. By the way, a manger is not what we think of a manger being the, the stable. It's not a stable, it's a feed trough, okay? It's where cow, cattle ate out of, all right? It's a feed trough. That's a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Uh, There were a a lot of problems in Joseph and Mary's life. Everything wasn't comfortable for them. She's nine months pregnant. They have to go to Bethlehem, but remember I told you it was five to six miles south of Jerusalem? They didn't live in Jerusalem. They lived in Nazareth. Nazareth is 80 miles north of Bethlehem. They had to travel 80 miles, and because Samaria was in between, and there was racial tension of the day, Jews didn't go through Samaria, it was probably a 100-mile trip, because they, they probably traveled east around Samaria and then south to get to Bethlehem. And I doubt, I doubt that they made the connection with Micah chapter 5, verse 2. That's what we read Matthew, and it was quoting, out of you, Bethlehem, will come a ruler of my people. I really don't think they're walking along, and Joseph says, you know, we're going to Bethlehem to fulfill Micah 5, verse 2. <laughs> you know what I actually think they were thinking? I, I personally think they were thinking, because they, you know why they were going? They were going to register for taxes. That's why they were going. Personally, I think they were thinking, I, I can't stand our new president and all his taxes. I'm not saying anything. I just, just, I'm just saying that's probably what they were thinking. And they make this journey 
Not in a car. What, what woman wants to travel 100 miles in a car the week before she delivers the baby? But much less on a donkey. And then, I don't mean this wrong, but what man wants to travel with a pregnant woman? <laughs> and then they get there and there's no room at the end. You, don't you think Joseph heard about this? The savior of the world born in a manger because you didn't think we needed reservations. <laughs> there, there were some problems in their lives. Everything wasn't perfect. Here's what I'd like to say. God doesn't birth miracles out of perfect places. He births miracles out of problem places. He loves to do that. Don't you think God could have reserved or had a cancellation for one room? He didn't want his son born in the Best Western or the Hilton. He wanted his son born in a cave, which is probably what the stable was. Most of us think of a stable as a barn that we see built today. But if you travel to Israel, you'll notice that most stables are caves with a little fence around them. So he's probably in a cave. I don't think it was like we think it was. Like we imagine in our minds everything perfect. I don't think they went up to the innkeeper and said, we need a room. And he said, I don't, I don't have a room, but I have a really nice nativity scene out back. <laughs> got all the hay just right. Even got the animals laying down facing the manger. Don't you think Joseph could have doubted? Don't you think Joseph could have thought, God, surely, not here? Not, I must have not heard you. Can I tell you something? Joseph and Mary did not get to choose the terms or the timing of their miracle. And neither do we. This last week as I was thinking about the problems of the first Christmas, it would be impossible for me to explain to you what I feel as your pastor. I feel the same thing, whether there's 20,000 people or 200 people. I feel care and concern for you. And as I pray, I feel things from the Holy Spirit. And I know that many of you right now, everything's not perfect in your Bethlehem. I know that. I know that some of you are facing a Christmas without a job. I know some of you are facing a Christmas without a loved one. I know some of you are facing a Christmas where you have a medical report that this might be your last Christmas. But I also know that God is faithful. And that even though we live in a fallen world that's filled with problems, there is a promise. <laughs> and that's the fourth point I want to take you to, the promise of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 Verse 2, this is the quote from Matthew. Micah 5, 2 says, but you Bethlehem, Ephratah, and that's what Bethlehem was called before uh, it was called Bethlehem, and it distinguishes it of Bethlehem of Judea rather than Bethlehem of Zebulun. That's why the reason they did that, if you want to know. But you Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you, then watch carefully shall come forth to me 
the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You know what he's saying? This is the ancient of days that's coming. This is God. This isn't a man. This is God that's coming from this place. And then verse 4 says, and he shall stand and feed his flock. That's us. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Not just the Messiah of Israel, but the Savior of the world. And this one shall be peace. Not the absence of problems. That's not what peace is. It's the presence of God in the midst of the problems. That's what peace is. I don't know how small and inconsequential of a place you're in right now. I don't know how small and insignificant you feel right now. And I don't know how large and difficult your problems are right now. But I know God wants to birth a miracle in you right now. When uh, our children were young, I had uh, changed jobs, and we went through a very difficult time financially, like all of us have done at some point. Christmas came around, and we were making it paycheck to paycheck, and all of a sudden, I got a bill that I didn't know about right at Christmas that had to be paid by the end of the year, and it was too much, and I didn't even have anything for Christmas. And so I was complaining to God one day. We call that prayer. And I was telling God how, he, how asleep he was and how distracted he was. And then I made a statement that's a very common statement. It's very common. You've heard this statement before used. I said to God, we might not even be able to have Christmas this year. You ever heard that? This family's not going to be able to have Christmas. And the Lord said to me, oh, really? Because you don't have money? You can't have Christmas? Is that what it's come to? You can't celebrate the birth of my son without money? Is that what you're telling me? And we feel that way a lot. I said, Lord, I'm sorry, you're right. Christmas is about so much more than that. And I said, I I guess, God, I I just, I feel for my kids, you know, I want to. And all of us would feel that as parents. I said, I want to. I want to be able to give some gifts to my kids. And just like that, the Lord spoke something to me that takes me about a minute to tell you, but I knew immediately. The Lord just showed me I could give them spiritual gifts. And the Lord began to speak to me about each child and about spiritual gifts that I could lay my hands on them on Christmas morning and say, I'm going to give you a gift. And the gifts, the other gifts, they're going to fade away. You won't even remember them, but this gift you'll have for the rest of your life. And I got so excited, I went out of the room, I said to Debbie, you got me tell you what God told me. This is going to be the best Christmas ever. And you know God, God in his faithfulness provided for the bill and provided for us to give him some toys too, just like, just like, and he provided it through the people in the body of Christ, just like this Friday night, because of you, we gave over 300 families gift cards to be able to help them, single families. So God provided, and we were able to give them some stuff too, but then I said to him, now I have something special for you. God has told me to give each of you a gift, and I prophesied over them, and I laid my hands on them, and I prayed, and I imparted a spiritual gift. 
So they go back to school after the uh, break, and the teacher said in the classroom, let's go around the room, let's take a moment, and everyone tell about one gift that you got. And I want you to tell about the best gift you got. And my kids told about the spiritual gift they got. That was the best one. It actually caused a kind of some problems for me because some of the parents came up and said, you know, my kid came home from school and said, dad, all I got was a remote control car and Josh got the gift of leadership. (laughs) We were in a small and inconsequential place in our lives. We felt small and insignificant. We had huge problems, but God birthed a miracle. I'm telling you, God wants to birth a miracle in your Bethlehem today. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Here's a good line from that song. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years, that's this year. That's 2010 and 2011 are met in thee tonight. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to do something that we do at the end of just about every message. And it's one of those things I'm just so grateful for. From the very first message that I ever preached at Gateway, I asked people to do this. I want you to just take a moment, whether you're a leader here or this is your first time here. I want you to just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit in your heart. Just ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Just ask him. And I know some of you are facing some very, very difficult problems right now. I believe if you'll press into God, he'll show you his miracle. And it might not be in the timing or according to the terms that we want but it will be according to His grace and what's best for our lives. And we want to pray for you. If you're going through a difficult time right now, and many of us are, we want to pray for you. And it's not embarrassing to come for prayer. Please don't let the devil tell you that. Maybe you're new to Gateway, but we do this every week. So if you're going through a difficulty right now, maybe your finances, Maybe your health, maybe your family, your marriage, your relationship with God. Maybe you're here and you need to come back to God. You've been away from God. You need to come back to God. We want to pray for you. We want to help you. So in just a moment at each campus, South Lake Frisco and North Richland Hills, we're going to stand and we're going to have leaders at the front. So if you're going through a difficulty, you make up your mind. As soon as we stand up, you're just going to stand up. You're going to step out and come and let us pray for you, all right? Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person that has any prayer need in Jesus' name. Amen.